This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Flourish at Home Show. Your host, Mary Jo Tate, is an international book editor, the homeschooling mom of four boys, and the author of Flourish, Balance for Homeschool Moms. Mary Jo loves to help moms find peace, order, and balance by sharing practical tips, inspiration, and encouragement. Visit her website at flourishathome.com. And now, here's your host, Mary Jo Tate. Welcome to the Flourish at Home show. I'm Mary Jo Tate, and today's episode is Introduction to Homeschooling, Part 2. Today we're going to look at six practical strategies to make homeschooling work well for your family. In the previous episode, Introduction to Homeschooling, Part 1, we talked about why, how, when, and where to homeschool, and we closed with the important reminder to have realistic expectations. In today's episode, we'll get down to the nitty-gritty of how that actually works in daily life. Number one, teach children of different ages together. It just makes sense to do this whenever possible. This is one of the huge advantages of homeschooling over any kind of institutional schooling, whether public, private, or parochial. Of course, some subjects like math and phonics follow a specific sequence, and they have to be taught at individual levels. But many subjects can be taught to children of different ages at the same time. Science, history, and literature are especially well-suited to multi-level teaching. Think about history, for example. If one of your children is studying ancient Greece and Rome, another one is studying the Middle Ages, and still another is studying American history, curriculum gets expensive and lesson planning is complicated. On the other hand, what if all three are studying the same time period? This simplifies your lesson planning and book buying, promotes family unity, and lets your children enjoy read-alouds, projects, and field trips together around the same theme, even while they're working independently at different levels of difficulty. For example, when we studied early American history several years ago, we were involved in a weekly co-op where the boys did hands-on activities and presented reports at a meeting each Friday. During the week, Forrest, who was 13, would read high school and adult-level history books. Andrew, who was 10, would read intermediate-level books on his own, and he would also read easier books aloud to Perry and Thomas, who weren't yet reading independently. All of them were studying the same subject, but at age-appropriate levels. Tip number two, encourage independent learning. As soon as my children mastered phonics and became confident readers, I encouraged them to learn independently. Now, this was a necessity in our home because I was homeschooling as a single mom from the time my oldest son was nine and the youngest was six months old. However, necessity isn't the only reason for encouraging independent learning. If you hold your children's hands academically for too long, it handicaps them rather than helping them. As always, you have to find the proper balance between independence and the necessary amount of assistance and instruction. For many years, my boys have done most of their studies on their own, and then we use our time together to answer questions and narrate or discuss what they've learned. My two oldest sons are now in their junior and sophomore years of college, and they've told me that their experience with studying independently while homeschooling has really prepared them well. Both of them have maintained B averages with a full course load while keeping multiple part-time jobs. Learning to take responsibility for their own education teaches children important skills that, as we've seen, will be useful in college as well as adult life, and it gives them opportunities to pursue their own special interests and also encourages them to become lifelong learners. 
Number three, delegate. I'm going to let you in on a well-kept secret about homeschooling. Are you ready? Mom doesn't necessarily have to be the children's one and only teacher. Delegating part of their instruction to others, inside or outside the family, can add an extra layer of richness to your children's education. Remember, though, that every teacher will be a role model, whether good or bad, so delegate wisely. Your older children can instruct or help their younger siblings. I always took responsibility for introducing new concepts in math and phonics myself, but sometimes one of my older boys would help his younger brother review phonics flashcards or listen to him practice reading aloud or help him do his math work for geography. Even before Perry was an independent reader himself, he was helping Thomas learn his letters and numbers and teaching him how to draw simple figures. This kind of delegation to older children not only gives value to the younger children and frees up some of your time, but it's also good for the older child. Explaining something to someone else is one of the very best ways to increase your own understanding of it. Another sneaky benefit is that reading to younger kids exposes the older ones to books they might otherwise think were too childish to be worthy of their own time. Reading a children's book is a wonderful way to get a simple, well-organized overview or review of any topic. You can also delegate to carefully chosen instructors outside your own family. For example, music is a subject that many people find comfortable delegating. Three of my sons have taken piano lessons from an excellent musician in our church. I only wish that they had started sooner. I put it off far too long because I kept telling myself that I would teach them. I had four years of piano lessons and many years of practice myself, and I could have gotten them started, but it just never happened. It's also helpful to find instructors in academic subjects when you really need help. Forrest benefited from both group and private tutoring in math while he was in high school. In addition to instructing him, his tutor, Miss Ann, gave him confidence that he really could do math, and that was something I had just never been able to accomplish myself. If you don't have the budget for private tutors or instructors, maybe you can trade subjects with another homeschool mom in an area that you find especially challenging. For example, maybe you're a math whiz, but you have trouble teaching your children how to write. See if you can find a mom who's a good writer but has trouble with math. You can teach math to both of her children and yours, and she can teach writing to her children and yours. Participating in a co-op is another way to delegate part of your children's instruction. Now, you do have to give up a certain amount of flexibility in exchange for the shared planning and shared classroom time and group activities, but the trade-off is worth it for many families. We've been part of a co-op for nine years now, and each family studies at home Monday through Thursday and meets for group classes on Friday. Doctors teach high school lab sciences, a nature lover teaches elementary science, a lawyer teaches rhetoric, College instructors teach public speaking and math, and an author or editor, that's me, teaches literature. All of these teachers are parents of children in our group. Co-ops are especially helpful for older students because it gives them the opportunity to give speeches and papers to a live audience and also to participate in group discussion. Our fourth tip is to use technological tutors. Modern technology has given us another way to delegate part of our children's education. My boys have used computer curriculum for math, typing, and French. 
It's important to remember that the younger your children are, the less time they should spend on the computer or watching videos. I'm cautious about any curriculum that has students sitting in front of the computer or the DVD player for several hours a day. It's important to use technology with discretion and balance. Be sure you don't let it become a substitute for printed books and human interaction. Audios are my favorite technological tutors. Audiobooks can be wonderful for learning and reviewing math facts, grammar rules, states and capitals, science terminology, history dates, and so on. Recorded books are a wonderful tool to help you supplement live family read-aloud time. For example, a child who has trouble reading can benefit from listening to an audiobook while following along with a printed book. You can listen to audios individually or together as a family while you're riding in the car, walking around the neighborhood, or doing chores. My oldest boys used to listen to Diana Waring's history audios, and my younger ones listened to Jim Weiss's storytelling audios at night while drifting off to sleep. For years, my oldest son, Forrest, would spout random history facts, and I'd ask, where did you learn that? He would either answer the Kingfisher Illustrated History of the World, which was the book he always took to bed, or Diana Waring's What in the World is Going On Here audio series. Audio can have a huge impact on your homeschooling, so give it a try. Tip number five, systematize for success. To schedule or not to schedule, that is the question. Some families work well with a schedule in which certain things happen at a certain time. Other families work well with a routine in which things don't happen necessarily at a certain time, but they usually happen in a predictable sequence. There is no one right way to do this. The right way is what works best for your family. Whether you prefer schedules or routines, you need to establish systems for your homeschool. For example, a place for everything and everything in its place. If you designate a place for the current year's books, notebooks, lesson plans, and supplies, everything should be easy to find. Some families use plastic boxes or drawers or stackable bins for younger children. In other families, each child has his own desk and keeps all his books and supplies there. In our home, we keep craft supplies in plastic boxes, and we use a combination of shelves, notebooks, and stackable trays for everything else. I love our cubbyhole-style bookcase that has eight sections, one for each child, one for shared books and reference books, and two for me. All textbooks, other books, and notebooks belong in these cubbyholes when they're not being used. This is a great way to prevent the dreaded I-can't-find-my-math-book syndrome. Each one of my boys has a master notebook for the school year with dividers for each subject. Some subjects that have a lot of paperwork have a separate notebook. Current and completed assignments go in the notebook. A three-hole punch is our best friend. We also keep several shelves of notebooks from past years as a nice record of their education. Unless you live in a state that requires you to save all of your paperwork, there's usually no need to save every math worksheet, every handwriting lesson, and every grammar exercise. We just save representative samples to show progress. We do keep our complete history notebooks for reference and an occasional trip down memory lane. In addition to my boys' notebooks, I keep a homeschool notebook for myself with schedules and phone numbers for our co-op and other activities, a master list of books for each child, and photocopies of the table of contents from their textbooks. This gives me everything I need to plan lessons available in one handy place. 
On top of our cubbyhole bookcase, I keep a set of stackable trays similar to an inbox-outbox system in an office. Each child has an inbox where I put his assignment sheet and any papers that are needed for that week's lessons, such as maps, worksheets, or math tests. The boys put their completed work in the top tray, which serves as their outbox, in my inbox. After I check their work, I discuss it with them if we need to, and they store those pages in their notebooks. The heart of our system is the weekly assignment sheet. I can never fit what I want to write into the little spaces of lesson planner books, so I really prefer open-ended documents. But again, whatever works for you is best. Here's how I do it. I simply type all assignments for each child in a Word document. When my boys were younger, I divided each subject into daily assignments, but now that they're older, they prefer a weekly list so they can make their own choices about dividing the work. Math, of course, usually needs to be done daily, but as long as they finish all their assignments for the week by the deadline, the system can work well. It teaches them to take responsibility for their own work, and it saves a lot of time on lesson planning. For example, assigning Science Chapter 3 for the whole week is a lot easier than pulling out the textbook and breaking it down into four daily segments with page numbers. Now, I understand that if you're used to micromanaging your children's time, this may sound like a risky plan. Again, it depends on their maturity level. When you begin to transition from daily assignments to weekly ones, be sure to provide guidance to help your children make wise choices. You might be surprised at how much they're capable of. Children usually do rise to meet our expectations. You can help them stay on track with a daily check-in time with mom to keep them accountable. Whether you use daily or weekly assignment sheets, make sure that children get in the habit of checking off each item as they complete it. My philosophy is if it's not marked off the list, it's not finished yet. This works for chores too, by the way. Our weekly homeschool assignment sheet doubles as a record-keeping system. At the end of the week, I evaluate the kids' schoolwork, update the list, and print a clean copy if I need to, and save it in a binder as a permanent record of their work. Another benefit of this system is that when a younger child is covering the same ground in later years, sometimes I can copy and paste old assignments instead of starting from scratch. Tip number six, and this is one of my favorite. Nurture a love of reading. This tip is a little bit different. It's not so focused on time management like the others, but it's impossible for me to discuss homeschooling without emphasizing the importance of reading. And there are some practical aspects here as well. Whatever homeschooling approach you choose, I encourage you to make reading real books, not just textbooks, a priority in your family. Skill, interest, and discernment in reading have a profound effect on every other aspect of education. Reading develops the mind, builds vocabulary, provides models of good writing, expands the imagination, allows children to travel to new places and explore other cultures, develops empathy, and teaches by example. That's a lot to get from just one activity of reading. I encourage you to make reading a daily habit. Read aloud as a family and read individually. Encourage children to read books of their own choice as well as the books that you assign to them. Enjoy activities like acting out plots, drawing pictures, cooking foods mentioned in a story, or traveling to locations where your favorite books are set. Visit the library and the bookstore. 
make books accessible by placing bookcases throughout the house and keep young children's books on low shelves. Set out baskets of seasonal books or books on interesting topics. I encourage you to avoid dumbed-down, poorly written books, what Charlotte Mason described as twaddle. Instead, focus on classics that are well-written, that contain thought-provoking ideas, and have stood the test of time. For example, classics include both enduring children's books by authors like Beatrix Potter and Laura Ingalls Wilder, as well as the great books by authors like Charles Dickens and Jane Austen. It's important to choose age-appropriate books. Young children need positive examples to emulate. Older students can also learn from negative examples to avoid. Be sure to ask questions about characters' choices and discuss how they could have handled things better. You can use books to teach your children discernment. Reading books that you disagree with stretches your mind and teaches you to defend your position more skillfully. Here's where it gets practical. You can use living books to integrate your study of many subjects. Have your children write about what they're reading in literature, science, or history. Encourage their creativity with fun assignments such as writing their own stories, imagining alternate endings, or rewriting a passage from one author in the style of another author. For younger students, copy work and dictation incorporate vocabulary, spelling, grammar, and penmanship. Narration, when your children tell you the story in their own words or explain what they learned about a topic or a character, provides early practice in composition. With older students, focus on discussion. Train them to form their own opinions about what they read and teach them to find something to appreciate about a classic even if they didn't enjoy it. Teach them how to analyze how authors choose words, craft sentences, and structure arguments or plots. Encourage them to mark their books as they read. This makes the books their own, makes reading more active, and makes it easy to review. Have them keep a reading journal to record their reflections on what they read. They should focus not merely on facts, but also on ideas, themes, characters, and literary style, as well as questions that they want to discuss. Building a home library helps create a culture of reading and an atmosphere for learning in your home. You can find great deals at secondhand bookstores, thrift shops, library sales, and yard sales. Aim for breadth and depth. Breadth is having books on a wide variety of topics, and depth is having many books on a specific topic. Collect fiction and nonfiction, books about your children's interest, favorite authors, and wonderful series such as the landmark history books. Give books as birthday and Christmas gifts to build your children's personal libraries. Provide bookshelves in their rooms to hold their own collections, as well as favorites from the family library. Remember to set an example for your children. Seeing you reading, for pleasure as well as for learning, is a crucial part of teaching them to love books and to value reading. However you choose to implement these six strategies in your home, remember that homeschooling is not just about academics. It's also about building character and nurturing relationships. When my youngest son Thomas was four years old, I had not done much formal schoolwork with him yet. One day he asked, is today a school day? I told him yes. He said, well, I want to do school. So I asked, what kind of schoolwork do you want to do? And he said, I want to do the kind of school where the whole family sits down together and draws or reads a story. That's the kind of school I like. You know, that's the kind of school I like too, where the whole family sits down together and draws or reads a story. B. 
be sure to make room in your life, your week, your day for the whole family sitting down and learning together because that's the essence of homeschooling. I'll see you next time on the Flourish at Home show. Thanks for tuning in to the Flourish at Home show. For more encouragement, visit Mary Jo at flourishathome.com. The Flourish at Home show is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.